joy. Today we're going to talk about a secret of joy. This particular secret that I want to share with you today is how you can be a cheerful giver. But before we get there, I have to back up a little bit. I want to start in a totally different place, kind of over here. If you remember this, help me out. If you're happy and you know it. You didn't sound very happy. We're going to try this again. Now that you got a heads up. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will... All right, stop. Hold on. Stop. We just said, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. And there's like 15 of you that are frowning. But you're singing if you're happy and you know it. So I don't think you know it because your face is not showing it. All right. Now, that, that was okay, but there's a better version of this song that my friends from the group Audio Adrenaline sang back years ago. And it was called, If You're Happy and You Know It, Bang Your Head. <laughs> they were a little different in the Christian rock and roll movement. And it was a great song to get you up and going and excited. But just in that little experiment, some of you have shown that you are happy. Some of you are shown that you want to be happy, but you're not because your face is stuck. But it's okay. Because the reality is happiness is not joy. Joy is not happiness. All right? Joy is preaching a sermon and nobody's cell phone going off. <laughs> sorry. It happens every week. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be ugly. It just happens. That's not in my notes. That just came out. I'm sorry. I hope everything is okay. Um, Kevin, please turn it off. All right? Thank you. Uh, I feel that we know happiness is an emotion. I'm going to get to that in a second. But I wanted to define joy for you all. And so I started looking at what is joy? And I didn't like Webster's definition for joy because it used the word happy. <laughs> Thought that was not right. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is, is not. But I found an excerpt from Kay Warren's book, and her book is called, and I love the title itself, Choose Joy Because Happiness Isn't Enough. I thought, now we're getting somewhere on a good definition for joy. And here's what she writes. She wrote, finding joy is a challenge for me. I'm not naturally an upbeat person. That's hard for people to admit. And, and here is Kay Warren, who is Rick Warren's wife, mega church pastor, and she says, I am more of a melancholy person. And just that in of itself is impressive for someone of that stature to be able to write that and say that about themselves. She says, when I talk about joy, I'm not doing it from the perspective of, generally, of a generally peppy person who, is, who has never had a bad day. She said, in fact, it's because of my own inability to live with joy that led me to explore why my experiences didn't line up with Scripture. She said, my problem was my definition of joy. I thought joy meant feeling good all the time. That's impossible, even for those who are naturally upbeat and optimistic. It's impossible to feel that way all the time. We have to start somewhere more realistic and close to Scripture. So here's the definition I've come up with from the studying Scripture about joy. She writes, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. 
the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. I thought, now there's a definition for joy. She continues, you'll find nothing in that definition about happy feelings because, as we all know, happiness is fleeting and temporary. We tend to think that life comes in hills and valleys, but in reality, it's more like train tracks. Every day of your life, wonderful, good things happen. They bring you pleasure. They bring you contentment. They bring beauty, maybe encouragement to your life. And at the exact same time, painful things happen to you. Or or maybe painful things happen to those that you love. Something disappoints you. You find hurt and you're filled with sorrow. And these tracks are running parallel next to each other. These two tracks, joy and sorrow, run side by side every single moment of your life. That's why when you're in the midst of an amazing experience, you may still have this nagging realization that it's not perfect. Some people say, well, I'm just always waiting for the, the other shoe to fall, even in a time of joy. She writes, that's, because, or that's why when you're in the midst of an amazing experience, you have this nagging realization. And while you're experiencing something painful... Has anyone ever experienced anything painful? When you're experiencing something painful because of joy, because of that definition I just gave you, there's this realization that there's still beauty and loveliness to be found in that suffering, in that pain, in that sorrow, in that moment. You see, joy is a biblical context. It's not an emotion. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion. And I shared with you back in February about emotions. If you remember that series, emotions will get you into trouble. Remember I said that um, the emotion, especially with love, you know, I talked about the heart wants what it wants and and, and, and true love. And I talked about these different things and how how, um, the myth of Cupid's love, sorry, I wrote Cuspid's love and it didn't, I spelt it right and it didn't check it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Cupid's love is the basis of our emotion known as happiness. And it's fleeting. It's an emotion. And unfortunately, we try too hard to obtain happiness sometimes. We, we try to buy happiness with things. There's, there's even songs about, you know, you can't buy, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a boat. You know, it can buy a truck. You know, you know the song because you're like, hey man, yeah. Uh, money can buy coffee and I've never seen anybody sad holding a cup of coffee. That's, that's where I come from. We try to buy things to make us happy. We even celebrate what we think is happiness, and we celebrate it poorly. On social media, most of the celebrations that you see, having a birthday party with this person, and everybody's drinking. Everybody's doing something stupid. We we try to buy happiness. We try to celebrate happiness with with liquor or drugs or something that's really not out out of our control. And no matter what we do, we still end up sad. Because when you're done drinking, you still have those same problems. So your emotional happiness was for a moment. Because happiness is temporary. But joy is an attitude of the heart. Now, to continue breaking up or, or, or separating happiness and joy, I want to tell you a story about a little boy. Because most little boys always do something that's very profound. This little boy lived in a neighborhood. They were about two or three blocks from their church. And it was Vacation Bible School Week, which, by the way, we have Vacation Bible School coming up in July. If you haven't already gotten involved in that, we've got a board out there where you can pick something and make a donation to our VBS. But it was VBS time for this little boy. And he wanted to go. His mom had to work. 
And it was in the afternoon, and, and she said, you know what, I guess you're old enough, he's seven, you can walk the two blocks to the church. Now, from the house to the church, there was an ice cream shop, and they knew the owner of the ice cream shop, Mr. Smith, and so mom phoned Mr. Smith and said, hey, just make sure he passes about this time, and make sure he passes back by about this time, and, and you know, it was kind of a neighborhood watch back before cell phones, things of that nature. But the boy wanted to take an offering to Vacation Bible School, so he begged his mom, please, please, can I take an offering? So the mom gave him $4. She put $2 in his left pocket and $2 in his right pocket. And she told him, $2 is for your offering. The other $2, you can stop at Mr. Smith's ice cream shop, and you can have an ice cream on the way home from Vacation Bible School. Man, this kid thought he was big time. Ice cream all on his own, gets to walk to the church, so, like any seven-year-old walking to church on his own on a summer day, he's, he's enjoying things. He, he jumps over a little creek, he splashes in the remnants of a puddle, he catches a frog and sticks it in one of his pockets. It was his back pocket, but the frog got out before he went to church, so it's okay. And he, he finally gets there, he gets there on time, a little dirty, but it's okay. He's set up for VBS goes through the whole night, and at the end of the evening, they start to pass the offering for VBS, for, for their mission for the week. And he reaches in his right pocket, where he put the $2 that his mom said was for his offering. And wouldn't you know it, the money's gone, and instead, he puts his little hand all the way through a hole in the bottom of his pocket. And all that jumping, and all that chasing frogs, and all that, that money had, had shaken out of his pant leg, and down onto the floor, onto the, the sidewalk somewhere. And that little boy thought for a second, and the offering plate was coming, and he had a decision to make. So he quietly looked up and he said, Lord, I lost your money, but I've still got mine. (laughs) And it went on by. Now, I want to contrast that story with with something I found on a trip to, um, to Africa when we went to Zimbabwe. We went to a church, and this church it was called the Mashoko Church of Christ, and it sat on this, on this piece of ground that was next to two schools, a primary school and a high school. These two schools hosted probably around 300 or so students, and these students came to church by themselves. Their parents lived elsewhere but paid for them to go to school. They worked and paid for them to be at this Christian school in Mashoko. And these kids would come, and they would, they would come to church, now, the neat thing, and I think they should do this here in America, but it would put a lot of work on our teachers, so I'm sorry, honey, but I think it's a great idea. These students got grades every week. It wasn't an official report card, but it was just kind of like a continual progress report, and some of you students are like, oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> but every week, they would get this grade card that had their marks, if you will, for the week. And these students, even, even the ones from well-to-do families, didn't really have money But as the church would pass their offering plate at the Meshogo Christian Church of Christ, these kids put their report cards in it, had their names on it, and it had their grades. These kids aren't even, their moms aren't there to go, hey, do your homework, check your spelling. I'd say spell check, but they don't have computers, so check your spelling. Know what you, get your math work done. Their parents aren't there to do that. But every Sunday when the offering plate is passed at church, it's filled up. I thought there was this great offering, and it was mostly report cards. <laughs> and I asked 
Pastor Isaac, I said, why is this? And he goes, because that's what they have to give. That, and they, and they serve. They, they clean the building. They do stuff around the church. So these kids, you got this one little boy who, sorry, Lord, I lost your money, but I still got mine. And he got his two scoops on the way home. And that's how that story ends. And then you've got these other kids who, who have nothing to begin with. But all they can give is this, this piece of paper that says, I went to school for you, God. Now, it's easy to judge that little boy. What's wrong with you? Your mom would have given you another $2. If you'd have gone home and said, hey, lost my ice cream money, or lost $2, but I put my ice cream money in the offering plate, most parents would find a way to give that back and make sure the kid got the ice cream for making a good choice. But some of you were judging that little boy. Some of you were bolstering a little bit going, my kid wouldn't have done that. He'd have given that money to the Lord. Ice cream is a very tempting thing. But before we judge that little boy too harshly for his actions, and, and really before we go any further today, I want you to take out your offering. Now, I realize this is not really fair because some people get paid once a month. Some people get paid every other week. If your offering is here, take it out. I'm not asking you to, It's like a magic trick. Don't show it to the person next to you. We're not going to compare. But take it out. Hold it in your hand. If your wife or your family is with you, lean over so everybody can look at it. And, and so just look at your offering. It doesn't make you happy. What you are preparing to give to God, does that bring you joy? See, because it doesn't really matter if it makes you happy because I already told you happiness is an emotion that's going to end and you can't buy your way into heaven. But does your gift you brought for the Lord today, does the gift you brought for the Lord last week or what you're going to bring next week, does that bring you joy? Is there joy in that gift? Or are you like the little boy? Maybe when you wrote the check, you're like, ah, I'd like to give you more, Lord, but I got an electric bill. Did you write it with the attitude of that little boy? I got mine, but yours is going to be a little short this week, Lord. Or did you write that check or get that cash out with the attitude of those children from Zimbabwe from the school? It's all I got, but it's yours. I hope you like it, Lord. Here it is. And listen, I'm not judging you, okay? And, and matter of fact, I'm about to take a really sharp turn in this message, and you're going to go, what does that even have to do with offering and cheerfulness and joy? Because we're going to look at this from a whole different perspective. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6. And I want to encourage you to read that this week. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 37. And I'm going to show you something here. And it starts out, do not judge. It's pretty bold. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 39, He also told them this parable. This is Jesus speaking. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can, we say, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Now listen, this is not a wealth and prosperity message that I'm giving you. But that's what some people take those verses to be. But I want to show you something. I love to bake. I love to cook. Um, I enjoy what I cook. <laughs> you can tell that. And a lot of times your, your, uh, your recipe will call for a quarter cup of, sh- of brown sugar. And usually it says packed. See, and here's the problem. Quarter cup of brown sugar, it's not that much. But when you take a quarter cup of brown sugar and you pack it, and you do it like the instructions say on that recipe, and then you set it out, you've got twice as much brown sugar. You've got twice as much sweetness, if you will. You've got twice as much holding things together in that recipe than if you just simply, oh, let me just... Let me just scoop out. It says half a cup. Let me just scoop some out and throw it in there. Now you gotta, you pack in that brown sugar. You're gonna get some gooey goodness, which is what you're looking for. You're gonna get some of that. It's gonna run over the edge of that cinnamon roll when you roll it up and cut it and lay it in there. It's gonna be a mess and it's gonna be beautiful. You see, it's not a wealth and prosperity verse here. It's an attitude check. It's an attitude adjustment. You remember that when you were kids driving around and you start to argue and your parents would be like, attitude adjustment. Praise the Lord. I don't know why they made us say that. I guess it was like splashing water on you or something. I don't know, but that's what my parents would do um, as we'd start to get a little cantankerous in the car. Attitude adjustment. Oh, praise the Lord. Same thing. This verse, this is a reminder that we can't expect a never-ending blessing from God if we're continually cheating Him out of what He deserves. How do you spend your time? It's not about what you're putting in the plate this afternoon. It's about your life. How are you spending your time? How are you living your life? What are you watching on TV? What are you reading in your spare time? Who are you talking with? Who are you talking about? What are you talking about? When you have conversation with people, what's the level of that conversation? Are you building people up or are you tearing people down? The sad thing is when we're tearing people down, the people that are being torn down usually don't even know. See, it's it's not wealth and prosperity. It's check your life. If you want to expect an overflow from God, pack that goodness in. Pack it in and be sweet. What kind of fruit are you bearing in your Christian life? Scripture talks about the kind of tree that we are. How we grow in the Spirit. Luke 6, he goes on in verse 43. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Wait a minute. We're back on talking about, we're not talking about money anymore. We're talking about fruit. No, we're still talking about money. We're still talking about life. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. In case you're wondering what, what bad fruit would be, I would say a not yet ripe persimmon would count as bad fruit. If you've ever had one of those kind of turns your whole face inside out. There's a fruit. It's called a dragon fruit. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these. It's all prickly. It stinks. On a good day, it stinks. Somebody I follow on Instagram had one cut open. It was rotten on the inside. They were like, how could I even know that this was rotten to begin with? Because it just stinks. It's horrible. It's bad fruit. There's nothing you can do to that to make it good, in my opinion. 
Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's your heart full of? Is there goodness? Is there joy? Is that what you're speaking? Is that how you're living? Is that what you're about to give to God? What are you bringing to God today? How are you bringing it? King David records in 1 Chronicles how the people brought their gifts for the temple that was to be built. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 6 says, Then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands the commanders and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work, Gave, say this last word with me. Gave. Ah, that sounded forced. Let's try it again. Gave. There we go. Now they're getting excited about giving. The next verse starts out. It says, they gave toward the work on the temple of God. And they gave willingly. David didn't have to um, guilt them into giving a gift. He simply said, this is the need. This is the plan. This is what we're going to do. And they gave willingly, not just a few of them, from, from the most to, or what would be considered from the most to the least, they gave willingly to the work on the temple of God. First Chronicles 29, 14 through 20, King David, in response to the gifts, in between that, and you should read that, it's First Chronicles 29. Read that this week because in, from the part about they gave to the work of the Lord to where I'm going to start right now, it talks about all the things that were brought, the gold, the jewels, the, just the, everything needed. And David writes this to God. He said, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight. As were all of our ancestors, our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Verse 16 says, Lord our God, All this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen the joy. I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Verse 18, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. Let me copy King David, if I may, for just a moment. Look at the offering that you brought again. Go ahead, take that out. Look at it. Maybe you haven't thought about this, but God provided that for you. David says, who am I and who are my people we should be able to give this generously to the work that we want to do for you? He talks about all the reasons they they wouldn't be able to give. 
But then he says, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have, it comes from you. It belongs to you first. Folks, God provided your offering. He provided the house that you're living in. He provided the car that brought you here, the pen that wrote your check. We're simply giving back to God a portion of something that already belongs to Him. I think it's important to have a message like this on Family Sunday so that our young people know, why do we pass a plate? It's more than turning on lights and having sound systems and and having things. God has trusted you with 100% of what you get. Think about that for a minute. We're simply giving back to God a portion of something that already belongs to Him. Somebody asked me one time, well, why, why 10%? We say 10% because in, in the Old Testament, they would set aside first fruits, 10% of a crop or, or 10% of oil or something of that nature. And it's a good place to start. And somebody said, well, doesn't that seem awful high? I thought, well, not really because you're already holding on to 100% of it. It's not like God only, like, like you make $100,000 a year, but God only gives you 10000 of that and then wants you to tithe another 10%. He's giving you the whole amount. He's asking for you to decide in your heart what's good. He's trusted you with 100% of it. And that's not just your money. He's trusted you because of the gift of free will. He's trusted you with 100% of your life, with 100% of your emotions, 100% of your actions. And who you choose to serve and what you choose to honor. Think about that for a minute. And consider whether or not you'll be a cheerful giver this morning. Earlier I spoke about train tracks. The parallel of the train tracks. In comparison with joy and sorrow in your life. Mother's Day I talked about Scott Kaplan. My friend Scott Kaplan. I talked about his mom, Belle Kaplan. I talked about how he... He lived on the other side of the tracks and he listened to that sermon and he straightened me out. He said, actually, you lied to your congregation. We didn't live on the opposite sides of the track. We actually lived on the same side. He was just farther down. (laughs) And that's a point because to get to one another's house, the train track was the shortest route. And it was probably a couple of miles, but we could go parallel with the train. But you know what? When we stand on the train tracks and we'd look down to where I would basically get off to go into Scott's property, eventually those train tracks just kind of came together. Could never quite get how far down. They just kind of came together. And when you think about that, in this world of joy and sorrow, going along on a train track, and you look down a train track and they kind of become one. You can't distinguish them as two separate tracks. You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son as a sacrifice for us. Whoever believes in Him will not perish. Acts 2.38 says that when we repent of our sins, we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when we do this, that's how it's going to be for us. Those train tracks of joy and sorrow, one day those parallel tracks are going to merge into one. And it's the day we meet Jesus Christ in person. And we see the brightness of who He is. It's the day that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's the day when it all will come together for us. And the joy will outweigh the sorrow. 
And it will all make complete sense because until then, it's up to us to choose joy, not happiness. Happiness is fleeting, but joy in Christ is eternal. And it's more than how you give your money. But now that you know the secret of why we should be cheerful givers, I want to let you know that our focus for our response time today is very simple. It's going to be to give our offering, give our tithes to God in celebration. Not if you're happy and you know it, give your money. Not like that. Think about the gift that you brought. Are you prepared to give in celebration? My other question for you this morning is, are you joyful for what you have? In your life. Think about your life. Think about your family. Think about the things that God has blessed you with. Your jobs. Maybe it's your retirement. Maybe whatever. But think about what God has blessed you with. Are you joyful for what you have? Are you willing to give unselfishly back to God because what He has done for you? It's time for us to make sure that we are giving with an attitude of joy. Is it easy for you to give this morning? Is it hard for you to give this morning? Think about what you're about to give to God. Is it enough? Are you guys smelling that, by the way? Breathe real deep. It's amazing what a little bit of brown sugar will do, isn't it? Packed in. Spilling over. Just a little bit of raisin bread. Such a fragrant thing. Your offering today not only can be used to teach your family, but can be used as a fragrant offering to God. Just a small way of saying thank you for what you've done for me. Look at, look at your offering. Is it your best gift? Or are you just tossing in some spare change? Is this amount predetermined? Or is your gift an afterthought? Think about the gift that you're about to give God. As our men come forward, I want to share this part with you. Our men are going to come forward to collect offering right now. Um, I listen to AFM all the time. And on the Wally show, they were doing one of their pledge drives. And this is what I love. Wally's weird. All right? Most people... He's like opera. You either love him or you hate him. I love him. He talks about the gift. And I want to share what he said. It it goes like this. Maybe you've thought about giving. In his sense, he was talking about making a pledge to the radio station. But here today, you've thought about giving. Maybe you've thought about it all week and you couldn't wait to get here to give your gift. Maybe you didn't think about it until at announcement time when I said it's family Sunday and we're going to do our offering later and you like started checking your pockets or grabbed your checkbook. The gift, the amount of the gift doesn't matter. Okay? I want to be very clear about that. I'm not here to judge you. I didn't want you showing your offering to other people because that is between you and God. But one of the things that Wally said that I thought was really awesome, he said, as you really communicate this with God, that you want to give a gift, and in our case, as you communicate with God that you want to give back to Him, He's put something on your heart. You know the job you have. You know the bills you have. You know all this stuff. But God has put on your heart an amount, a number. Whether it's 10%, whether it's 20%. There's a story of a guy that by the time he was 
older in life, he was giving 80% and living off of 20%. I thought that was pretty impressive. But Wally says, whatever that is, whatever that amount is that's on your heart, give that. Even if it doesn't add up right, give it. Because if you don't, you'll know that you didn't give God your very best. Your very best may be $10 every week. That's awesome. Your very best. If you see someone in need and you think, I'm going to help this person, and God says you should give them $20, but you, you thumb through and you've got a 20 and you've got a 5, and you just give them 5, and you walk away. Yes, you gave them $5 more than what they had, but what God put on your heart was to bless them with more than what you, were, you had in mind. Don't change what God's putting on your heart, okay? It's one of the reasons that your offering should be talked about as a family. Even with your younger kids, explain to them, why are we even doing that? Because it's God's to begin with. He's providing what we need. He's offering us the opportunities to live a a fully blessed life. And this time right now, we're going to give back something to Him. Let it be predetermined. Don't let it be a last minute thing if that's been your habit. Is the amount predetermined or is your gift an afterthought? Think about the gift that you're about to give God. Now think about the gift that God gave you. It's not about trying to outgive God because His Son Jesus came and lived a life and He died. He was buried and He rose from the grave and He is preparing a place for us. You're never going to match that. But just think about the gift that God gave you. And where's your heart? Are you giving cheerfully? Are you giving with joy? As we sing this song, I'd like for you all to stand and prepare to give your gift to God this morning. I want you to give with joy. If your children are here with you, let them give your family's offering this morning. Do something a little different. Go ahead and stand with us. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. Father God, as we, we come to this response time today, and we come to give back to you a little bit from what you have blessed us with. I pray that what's given here today, I pray, Lord, it will be multiplied. I pray that it will be used just to, to proclaim who you are. It will, what's collected here today will show our community, show our world that Huntsville Christian Church is a reflection of you. I pray that what's given will be a more fragrant offering than that of bread baking in your eyes and as you see what's happening here today i pray that it will honor you help us lord to choose to be joyful givers help us to choose to recognize the blessings that you've given us lord you already provide for our needs and we're grateful for that so i just pray that what's collected here today will be pleasing to you It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Sing this as we have our offering time. Some of you were even smiling while you were giving. It's awesome. It's been great to be here with you this morning to share in the secrets of joy on how to be a cheerful giver. But now it's time to go. I remember this morning, remember the secret to being a cheerful giver is how you live your life each day knowing that joy is the settled assurance that God is